to the Red Light Report. Your number one source for all things red light therapy. Where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Red Light Report. And I'm very excited to introduce today's guest, Dr. Lucas Timms. He is the medical director of the Reardon's Clinic located in Overland Park, Kansas, although they have multiple locations within Kansas. And he is a naturopathic doctor who specializes in IV vitamin C, ozone therapy, the immune system, and much more. In 2013, he passed his specialty boards, designating him as a fellow of the American Board of Naturopathic Oncology. And he also earned a metabolic approach to cancer certificate from the Metabolic Terrain Institute of Health. And throughout Dr. Lucas's 12 years of practice, he has provided integrative medicine support for thousands of cancer patients at multiple CTCA hospitals and clinics. Throughout his tenure at Reardon Clinic, he has been instrumental in the development and expansion of comprehensive cancer programs that include therapies such as IV vitamin C, mistletoe, ozone therapy, I might butcher this, helleborus. Is that correct, Dr. Timms? Correct. Wow. And acupuncture. And he works very closely with his patients on diet and lifestyle interventions that promote a healthy immune system and create the right internal climate for the body to heal. With that being said, Dr. Tims, welcome to the Red Light Report. Appreciate you taking the time to to hop on the call. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Excited to talk about uh, what we do here with you guys today and your audience. Absolutely. I intentionally left out part of your bio because I figured that could be kind of part of your origin story or or kind of how you came into this expertise of oncology. So give us kind of your background on how you got to, to where you are today running that Reardon Clinic. Yeah, be happy to. Kind of a bit of a circuitous uh, path here, but you know, like you said, I am a naturopathic doctor. So I went to naturopathic medical school in Arizona and uh, that's where I you know, got my degree. And then from there, that's sort of where I developed an interest or a a strong draw towards oncology, working with cancer patients. Part of that was my wife was diagnosed with cancer during those times. We were just dating, but we did end up getting married. So long story short, she did well with her cancer diagnosis, but that was sort of one of the origins of my interest in cancer specifically. Went on to do a a hospital-based residency and fellowship at Cancer Treatment Centers of America, and then worked for them for several years after that at multiple locations as you mentioned, and then joined the Reardon Clinic, uh, kind of a second chapter of my career, if you will, in 2018, have been ramping up their integrative oncology division ever since. And the growth curve has been pretty steep. So it's been a fun ride the last few years. And uh, we're just excited to uh, be able to offer the, the unique treatments and approaches to so many cancer patients that are literally coming from all over the all over the country now, some some from all over the world. You know, that's what I appreciate about what you do and what you stand for with with cancer treatment is it's a much more holistic, integrative approach. Because I think a lot of times when we hear cancer treatment, it's the the chemotherapies, the pharmaceuticals and, and kind of a relatively toxic treatment to combat the cancer. Right. Yet there are ways healthier, you know, integrative approach like you do that could potentially not only have a more positive effect, but lead to less negative side effects as well. So it's kind of a win-win situation. 
And what I like to do, you know, when I bring people on like you, Dr. Tim's, I like to scour some of their social media postings just to kind of see what they're talking about and what they're educating their audiences on. Mm-hmm. And so there's just a couple of posts I'd like to touch on and kind of have you expound upon that I found interesting. And one was a post that said, only a small part of the cancer experience is about the medicine. Most of it is about faith and feelings, losing and finding your identity and discovering strengths you never knew you had. Can you kind of expound upon that thought and, and what you meant by that? Yeah, that's uh, that was that was a recent post. And uh, it was sort of an, an amalgamation of some of my own experience, some of the candid conversations I have with my patients day in and day out, walking through the cancer journey with, with loved ones, my wife, obviously, other family members. And so I like to post a lot of uh, studies and research on my my page, but sometimes I also like to remind my followers, my patients, myself that, um, you know, the actual like medicine and like changing the biochemistry and treating stuff is like, that's just one piece of the puzzle. You know, I have another post that I've done in the past where it talks about how health is what you do in between doctor visits, right? Or in between your treatments. And so that kind of plays to that same concept or idea that uh, so much of what we do that impacts what happens in our body is, you know, our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, our environment that we're in, not just the physical environment, but our mental, emotional environment, the people we spend time with. And so it just, you know, was, was kind of pulling at that thread for people. And like I said, not only sharing that with my patients, but also reminding myself and other providers that follow me that, you know, that's a big piece of the puzzle as well. Is there any part of the you know, the approach to cancer therapy that involves kind of a psychological, emotional support or treatment? All of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely a component. I mean, I, I honestly feel like, and I think we're starting to knock down some walls there, but I honestly feel like that's the biggest missing piece with with not just cancer, but with chronic disease is that you know, it's become so cold and clinical in Western medicine. And, you know, it seems like we've lost that ability to sort of like treat people and individuals. And it's like, okay, here's our algorithms. Here's our protocols. Here's our factory system. And we just enter you in here and, you know, you're number 76. And when you're done, we're going to deal with number 77. And so it just, it gets kind of cold. And so I think the psycho-spiritual emotional realm, while it's a very difficult area to address with some people, Oftentimes, that can be what the biggest kind of linchpin of their case is. Uh, and we're starting to learn more about how the body holds on to traumas and, and suppressed emotions in a physical state, really. I mean, it can be thought of as a toxicity in and of itself, just like molds or metals or plastics or pesticides, the other physical toxins we talk about. You know, emotions and, and trauma can be held the same way in the body. Yeah, that reminds me. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Christopher Motley. I think he's over in Tennessee, but he's an acupuncturist, chiropractor, and he's way into the whole emotional stress and the traditional Chinese paradigm of certain stresses or angers or emotions, I guess, are held in different organs depending on the emotion. And I did notice on the on the website, I don't know if you do acupuncture, uh, Dr. Tim's, but one of your colleagues does, you both do? Yeah, several of our practitioners do. I, I do as well. When is that utilized? And then what is the uh, purpose within a cancer treatment with, with acupuncture? 
Well, you know, acupuncture is really a whole system of medicine in and of itself and, you know, has been used for thousands of years. It's one of the oldest forms of medicine that we, that is still around today. And so it's really withstood the test of time. As far as the way I utilize it in my practice, it's a tool that we have that can, I would say I use it most for things like pain, nausea, headaches, gut problems, but there are protocols you can do just for you know, general tonifying effects in the body, or if patients are having trouble sleeping or low energy, you know, looking at things from a Chinese medicine perspective, a yin yang perspective, the acupuncture can help sometimes approach that from a, a different angle. It's also a great way to help people besides having to give them a pill or stick a needle in their arm. There's still needles, obviously. Uh, so I guess uh, it's a little bit of a pun there, but the needles are not going into the vein, obviously. And so it's a little bit less invasive and a lot of patients, you know, respond to it fairly well. Yeah. I would definitely consider that non-invasive, non-pharmaceutical approach. So yeah, I would, I would definitely much more try acupuncture. I don't know if you know that I do uh, dry needling Dr. Tim's, but that's kind mm. of my expertise in the physical therapy realm. And I would, all my patients would definitely go through the rigors of, of dry needling than dealing with that chronic headache or that chronic pain. Yep. I don't know how instantaneous it is with acupuncture. I guess the one time I had it done to me, it was really interesting because it was during, this is kind of off topic, but it was during a craniosacral therapy treatment. It was my first time doing that, but she also stuck a needle in my tibialis anterior, so kind of my shin muscle, and she twisted it ever so slightly as I was moving my shoulder because I was having some um, impingement, I think, with my left shoulder. That's my thrown shoulder. And she just did that little twisting motion for a little bit as I was doing some range of motion with my left shoulder. And a minute or two later, she was done and like it was just cleaned up completely. So it was kind of mind blowing. But I'm definitely yeah. a believer in, in acupuncture for sure. Yeah. And that's where so many patients or just everyday people, I think they can get a little bit confused by it. You know, it's like, well, how do you put a, you know, a needle in my leg and it helps my shoulder or, you know, a needle in my arm and it helps my headache? Like, it, from a Western medicine standpoint and how we look at the body anatomically, like it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. One of the studies I saw when I was in med school, because again, I was a little skeptical as well. They actually do have studies where they've hooked people's brains up to, you know, EEGs and monitors and put these, you know, done acupuncture treatments and, and they see the areas of the brain light up corresponding to that, whatever symptom they're treating basically, or what part of the body they're treating. And so we know that that you know, that impulse is happening and that, that communication between the brain and other parts of the body is happening. How the Chinese ever figured it out, I have no idea, but uh, it's really quite remarkable. And it, I think it helps people appreciate that there's uh, more to the body than just, you know, the anatomical, you know, bones and tissues and blood vessels that we have. Yeah, totally agree. And especially with, with your field of expertise being in oncology, dealing with cancer, I was kind of curious as I was preparing for this interview, what changes have you noticed, whether it's within the Reardon Clinic or just within oncology as a whole? What have you noticed over the past several years going through this whole epidemic and more or less being on the other side of it, perhaps? I don't know, maybe we're getting new strains or whatever, but what has changed or what trends have you noticed going through the whole COVID-19 pandemic, if any? Whether it's how the uh, patients present themselves or whether it's how yeah. you're treating them. I mean, have, have there been any differences over that period of time? I would say a couple things that stand out to me uh, is when you overlay the timeline of the pandemic with what I've done in my practice. 
pretty much our our growth curve, you know, I, like I talked about, like we've gotten super busy the last couple of years. And so that's matched that that curve of uh, of the pandemic uh, pretty closely. Uh, we're seeing a lot more people. Now, I think some of that's just that we're doing a better job of reaching people and, and spreading the word. Some of it's that I think uh, more people are seeking this type of care out. I think as a byproduct of the pandemic and our, more so our response to the pandemic, our mainstream response to the pandemic, people are wanting more options. They're, they're more skeptical and less trustworthy of the traditional medical model. And uh, they're more inclined to look for alternative, integrative, functional providers, whether it's for cancer or, or other issues. And so uh, I think there's a bit of an awakening that's happened there. We're seeing a lot younger patients here. First 10 years of my career, I, I didn't treat a lot of patients below the age of 40. Now I would say at least half of my patients that are coming to me are below the age of 40, which is really scary. And you can look back over the last 20 years, and you can say, well, this this tide has been growing, then we have definitely seen an, a, a dramatic increase in early onset cancers, meaning less than the age of 50. I think that's multifactorial, but me and my colleagues and people I talk to every day, I think there's been an even crazier jump up since this pandemic. You know, you could blame that on, on you know, stress. You could blame, blame that on people drinking more. You could blame it on people putting off screenings and exams and diag you know getting diagnosed and all that but i think there's more to it than that i think a lot of my colleagues and practitioners out there also believe there's more to it and time will tell in terms of uh, all the pieces of the puzzle there but it's certainly a concerning trend i'm glad more people are seeking out integrative practitioners but you know we're we're pretty quickly getting to the point where about one in every two people we come across is going to have cancer in their lifetime. And that that's a scary statistic. That's pretty interesting that you chose that topic to speak about because that was the other Instagram post I was going to bring up to you was dramatic rise in cancer and people under 50. And you already named a couple of the possible culprits that was um, identified in that paper, that study, which you said uh, increased alcohol consumption and then, of course, mm -hmm. stress during the pandemic. And they also added altered microbiome and sleep deprivation as as uh, potential sure. culprits for this 30-year global trend. And like you said, very, very multifactorial, but regardless, quite frightening and alarming that, like you said, one out of two people are going to get cancer in their life. And half of your patients, did you say, were under under 50? That's the strong trend uh, over the last two years. Is we're, we're talking cancer here. We're not talking disease. We're talking cancer. We're talking cancer. The scary thing about younger patients is oftentimes their cancers are more aggressive because, again, a 25-year-old cells are replicating faster than a 65-year-old's. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, potentially more dangerous with just that variable alone then. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, you, you tend to not see what we would call slow-growing tumors in young patients. They're typically fast-growing, which means the timeline speeds up. The panic, the worry, the fear, all that stuff kind of sets in quicker. So the earlier we can get involved with those patients, the better. But uh, it's it's providing a lot of unique challenges, and you know we're we're trying to find as many ways that we can support these people. You know, outside of just the kill cancer cell approach, which is what the the modern you know model really is is solely focused on. 
And, and we know that that has a place, but there's more than one way to skin the cat. And, uh, you know, affecting the environment and the terrain around the cancer can have a huge impact on it as well. And that can be done through much less invasive and less toxic ways. Yeah, and that's a perfect segue, actually, what you just said there, the traditional paradigm versus this terrain-based approach to cancer care. So give us a little more insight into what that is, how you go about utilizing your integrative holistic treatments, what they are, and, and kind of what your paradigm looks like compared to, like you mentioned, the traditional kill the cancer cell approach. Right. First, we have to start with fundamentally, what is cancer, right? And I think this is where we've, um, we, we've bought into a, a less than perfect understanding or paradigm uh, in terms of what cancer is. We sort of see it, at least in the mainstream sense, we see it as this foreign invader, this enemy, this threat that our body has turned on us, right? But, you know, if, if you really do a deep dive and look at research over the years at cancer biology, cancer metabolism, go back to even the work of some of the doctors that as far back as the 1930s, Otto Warburg, you know, the Warburg effect is something I would encourage everybody to look up. There's a book that's written about that called Tripping Over the Truth. That's also a great read. But the fundamental understanding of what cancer is, and uh, in a nutshell, uh, what I believe and what I think uh, supports the terrain-based approach that we use here is that cancer is a, is a normal response to an unhealthy environment or an area of the body that is not receiving its biological requirements. And you could call that nutrients or oxygen or energy for the cells or whatever. There's lots of ways to, to do that. But essentially, cancer is not a, a foreign invader. It's our body trying to survive. It's also, I think, in a way, our body sending us a signal that there's a problem. We like to use the phrase, uh, I stole this from Dr. Nasha Winters, cancer as teacher, not as an enemy. And so that sets the stage to kind of look at cancer in a whole new light. And so if we think of it as a learning opportunity to figure out or to understand that there's something deeper going on in the body, we can get out of that mindset of kill the cancer at all costs and much more in the mindset of let's take a look at what were the factors that created this problem. Let's peel back those layers. Let's look at what biological requirements are not being met in the body or what toxin loads or infectious agents are there that are creating chronic inflammation. And then we can kind of reverse engineer and addressing those issues can not only impact the cancer that's there, but can help people from stop making more cancer. And the beauty of this is that all this can be done alongside the traditional treatments as well. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that there's not a place for chemotherapy and radiation and surgery. And obviously, once things get advanced or, or even sometimes early on, those things make sense because, you know, they've shown to be effective. But oftentimes, patients are left with sort of this option of, well, we can't cure you. And, you know, the chemotherapy is only about 5% effective. And that's all we really have to offer you. And so those are the cases where, you know, we can rely more on the terrain-based approach and trying to create an, an environment that is not conducive to the cancer itself and dealing with those underlying issues, you know, making sure that nutrient deficiencies are repleted, make sure that the mitochondrial damage is reversed, which we can do, making sure that toxins are pulled out of the body that don't need to be there in a safe way, making sure that chronic self-infections can be cleared. So this is the work we do with our patients. And, and 
everything's customized as far as what we do with our patients. You know, nothing's cookie cutter. Uh, we do see patterns with patients, but I notoriously will tell my patients, you know, if I line up 10 people all with your same exact cancer diagnosis and we do our terrain-based workup, they all 10 look different. But from the traditional realm, you would all get the exact same treatment. All right, guys, as I promised, I am going to be offering you guys an exclusive 15% discount for the pre-sale order of The Matrix. Uh, like I spoke about earlier, this is a groundbreaking, innovative, patent-pending piece of technology from BioLite. It is literally a full-body red light therapy mat. You heard that right, a mat. It's a quarter of an inch thick. You can roll it up like a yoga mat. It has over 2,100 LEDs, and like all BioLite, light products, you have the option of choosing red and near-infrared light combo, red light only, or near-infrared light only. The dimensions are 69 inches by 34 inches, so you can either lay on it full body, cover it on top of your body like a blanket, roll up a section of your body, let's say your abdomen or one of your legs or one of your arms or a third or half of your body at once, roll yourself up like a bean burrito and literally give yourself a 360 degree red light therapy treatment. And more or less, you can think of this mat, the matrix, as the next phase of red light therapy. Because right now, everyone has panels and there's a time in place for that, but I think now is the time for innovation and moving the needle forward on red light therapy technology. This red light therapy mat, the matrix, roll it up, you can sit on it, you can stand on it, you can lay on it, you can roll yourself up. It's extremely versatile. It's easy to take on the go, so you're not just bound to hanging it up on a door or a wall. It's very easy to take on the go, put it in the corner of your room so it takes up minimal room in your house. The options are endless. Really, you guys, my loyal podcast audience, I'm going to offer you guys a 15% discount through pre-sale, which will be through the majority of October. So for the next three or four weeks from the recording of this podcast, you can get 15%. And the discount code is simply podcast. So go to biolite.shop, check out the matrix. If you want this exclusive 15% discount, simply use coupon code podcast at checkout to receive that discount. And I know you guys are going to absolutely love this game-changing product, the matrix. So what type of tactics are you using to optimize the the environment or the terrain to help deter, mitigate, prevent, reverse yeah. cancer or cancer cells from proliferating? Well, we cover everything from, you know, we're most well known for our IV vitamin C and the research that we've contributed to that therapy uh, specifically. But um, that's just one tool that we have here. We use, you know, a lot of the things that you mentioned in my bio, like mistletoe therapy, ozone, a lot of therapies that have not become part of the mainstream because they're not patentable, basically, but that we know can impact these terrain issues for patients with cancer. And so, you know, if patients have a, you know, underlying parasitic infection or fungal infection, ozone is a great treatment for that. If patients have, you know, an altered microbiome or their gut is, is all out of whack because of their chock full of glyphosate, we use detox methods to get that out, saunas and binders and sometimes ozone as well. IV vitamin C can help with cancer stem cells, which is a lot of where patients who go through traditional treatments don't have a good result because they're not really good at getting rid of the stem cells, which are the ones that keep coming back. And so IV vitamin C has a unique ability to really uh, help not just kill those cells, but actually rehabilitate them so that you actually gain a healthy stem cell versus just killing a cell. 
Mistletoe therapy is great at getting the immune system more involved. Uh, our immune system is designed to get rid of cancer cells on a daily basis, but we oftentimes get that our immune system gets stuck in a in an off mode where it's not really doing that that duty as well as it should be. And so mistletoe is one way we can flip that back into that on mode where it's producing plenty of natural killer cells and macrophages and, and these cells that we want more of when we have a cancer issue. We obviously talk to people about, you know, diet and nutrition, organize supplements, anything from, you know, basic vitamins to herbal supplements. We uh, use off-label medications and repurpose drugs sometimes. So it's really about identifying each person's unique terrain issues and then putting together a really good customized plan to deal with those. And sometimes it's not all at once. Sometimes we have to kind of take things in layers. But that's just kind of a, a you know some examples of the ways that we actually do the work. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for that kind of giving us the inside approach there. More specifically to mitochondrial dysfunction, mm. how do you measure that? Are you taking blood tests or is it just something you see a trend like how the patient presents themselves, whether maybe it's low energy production? Mm. And then secondly, what specifically do you do to reverse that dysfunction or maybe better said, improve the mitochondrial function? Mm. Yeah, the mitochondria is uh, you know a key piece of the puzzle. And going back to the fundamental understanding of cancer, that's where it all starts is the mitochondria. What separates a cancer cell from a healthy cell is what's going on in the mitochondria, okay? These are the energy factories of our cells, right? Which we actually inherited from bacteria many, many years ago. And they kick out a substance called ATP. And so a normal healthy cell kick out about 38 to 40 ATP per glucose molecule, okay? Cancer cells produce about two ATP. So they go into this very, very primitive low-level energy state, right? That can present itself as fatigue, but oftentimes the way it presents itself in a cancer state is that you get this festering, low-oxygen, unrepairable area of a tissue. It also functions very similarly to the way a wound functions. And there's been a lot of parallels that have been drawn between a wound environment and a tumor environment. So there's lots of hallmarks that cross over there. Mitochondrial dysfunction is one of them. Hypoxia, increased microbial agents like parasites, viruses, fungus, you know, these kind of opportunistic pathogens, inflammation. These are all hallmarks of both those environments. But the mitochondria is key. And as far as measuring it, there are some markers that we can look at with our organic acid tests that we do that gives us a, a breakdown of the mitochondrial health. It's not a perfect test, uh, but we basically assume with everybody with a chronic disease that you got to be working on the mitochondria, okay? Whether it's chronic depression, chronic fatigue, Lyme disease, autoimmune diseases, cancer, mitochondria. I mean, you you if you're not focusing on that, you're missing a big piece of the puzzle. Lots of therapies. IV vitamin C itself has a profound effect on the mitochondria. That is how it helps with the cancer stem cells, is it actually reverses some of this mitochondrial damage. Because the other thing that the mitochondria does is it helps to manage the life cycle of the cell. And it tells the cell when it's supposed to commit suicide. Because not our cells are always constantly turning over. And we're not supposed to have any cells longer than a certain expiration date in our body, except cancer cells because the mitochondrial damage. And so when you repair that damage, all of a sudden the mitochondria says, oh, we're way past our expiration date. Time to you know start booting up the apoptosis cycle, which is that cell suicide cycle. 
So yeah, the mitochondria is so important. And one of the things you brought up essentially is that the mitochondria may not be the only root cause, but it's one of the main root causes of cancer, more or less. Is that well, that's where you see the actual changes take place. But as far as root causes, I would think more along the lines of um, what causes the mitochondrial damage. Mm, so backing sure. up even one step further. And so what we typically see are drivers of chronic inflammation, which can be diet, lifestyle, stress, poor sleep, toxins, both environmental, mental, emotional, like, you know, like we talked about, and even sometimes biological toxins. Uh, so molds, metals, plastics, pesticides, chronic uh, suppressed emotions and, and, and trauma. You look at chronic self-infections too, parasites, fungus, viruses, bacteria. Um, and uh, that's where we tend to see these are the things that all create mitochondrial dysfunction. And so the mitochondria, yes, that's where the root of the problem is in the cell, but those things are what cause that problem. No, I gotcha. So it's the environmental factors causing the mitochondrial dysfunction. I guess a better way I should have said it was cancer is secondary to energy levels that are sub-threshold of normal. Like you said, uh, mm -hmm. the mitochondria are chugging out far less ATP than they should be. So the energy level in those cells is very low, meaning the, the energy level in that tissue is very low and in that organ is very low. And that's where you see the cancer cells start to appear is exactly. in tissues and organs that are just very, very low energy relative Correct. to what it should be. Correct. And that's where, you know, you can, that's why we can see cancer, you know, all over the body. It's like, where is that insult happening the most? And it's like, these cells are almost like in this zombie state, right? But yeah, it all goes to what's happening in the mitochondria for the most part. And then cancer cells, as they get enough of them together, they start to propagate this tumor microenvironment, which almost becomes its own living, breathing organism. And uh, once it gets to that point, it can be very hard to treat because, again, cancer wants to live. It's like us. It's our cells. It's doing everything it can to survive. It's just stuck in a very, very poor state in terms of its energy metabolism and the mitochondrial function. So you mentioned three key factors here as it relates to cancer and cancer cells. We, we just talked about mitochondrial dysfunction. You mm. mentioned hypoxic environments and then chronic inflammation, not just inflammation like an acute injury, which is normal and then it goes away, but chronic inflammation, right. typically systemic. So with those three factors, and I harp on this on my podcast every chance I can get that basically the three major things that red light therapy can help with is optimize mitochondrial health modulate inflammation, which typically means reduce inflammation, and then mm. improve circulation, whether that's the lymph system or, or just our circulatory system with blood. So my question to you is, do you guys integrate or utilize red light therapy either in-house or have your patients utilize red light therapy for their cancer approach, whether it's treating the cancer and or preventing cancer? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, we we don't use it a ton. We do have some red light technology in our sauna that we have here in the clinic. And I do have several patients that buy their own units, like the BioLite units or Juve units that are out there. I think it's, people are starting to get more aware of it. And like you said, boy, I mean, it, it hits all those bullet points. And so for something that's non-toxic, non-pharmaceutical based, uh, really has no downside to it that people can do in the comfort of their own home with these units that we have now makes a whole lot of sense. And, um, you know, I think it's something that we need to incorporate more. One of the areas in oncology where 
red light therapy and really light therapy overall, whether it's photodynamic therapy or chromotherapy, which is another one. We're just starting, I think, to scratch the surface on the benefits of these types of applications of, of certain wavelengths of light. And so the photodynamic therapy is something that we're looking to bring on, which they use in a lot of countries overseas as part of an IV, where they actually are able to use these lights, these light sensors that go along the tubing of the IV and any substance you're basically delivering to that IV, it's also getting that light therapy. And so you can modulate the effectiveness really of certain therapies and compounds through that added light source. And so that I think that's really cool. I think that, like I said, we need to be doing more research in these areas. And uh, But you know, as far as patients at home, no reason why you shouldn't be using one of these things. Or even just good old sunlight, you know, the classic heliotherapy. Again, I don't know the exact interactions with some of the oncological treatments and their effect or how they're affected by sunlight, but I would think that getting some consistent exposure to sunlight would probably be a good thing. 100%. I yeah. think it's one of the the biggest areas that we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot is, you know, making people really scared of going out in the sun. I'm not telling people to go out and, and get burned, but the sun is energy. The sun is energy. The sun, we talk about mitochondria. Boy, that's one of the best ways you can get your mitochondria revved up is direct sunlight. I, I prefer early morning sunlight. Obviously, everyone has their limit in terms of what their skin tone can, can uh, absorb, but I think that's one of the fundamentals. And you look at another reason why maybe going back to that, you know, the last two years in the pandemic, not a lot of people were getting enough sun, sunlight, sun exposure. So uh, I think that's something we need to be talking more about. Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence that people's immune systems were going down as they were quarantined inside out of the out of the sunlight. Um, well, and we saw it directly in the data, too, with vitamin D. I mean, exactly. Exactly. So uh, it's uh, it's the writings on the wall for sure. All right, Dr. Tim's. this one's coming out of right field for you or left field, whichever you prefer. Because it's like, I'm I'm a physical therapist. It's not like cancer's my expertise by any means. That's why you're on the show. But I was just recently reading through, I don't know if you're familiar with Tim Ferriss, speaking of popular podcasts, but yeah. this massive book of people he's interviewed and the information they've kind of provided on his show. And he's got one of the most popular podcasts of all time, Tim Ferriss. But anyway, in this book, he breaks it into three sections, health, wealth, and relationships. And I was just chugging through the health section and came upon some information from Dr. Dominic Diagostino. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah. Just in this book, there were some tidbits where Tim asked him, like, if someone had like a serious cancer, and I think in this instance, here are five things Dom would do if he were diagnosed with late stage glioblastoma, an aggressive brain cancer. So Tim's basically like, what would you tell someone to do? Or like, what would you do for yourself, I guess? And he said, the ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting, ketone supplementation, metformin, and DCA, which is sodium dichloroacetate. And then another one that was thrown in there is hyperbaric oxygen therapy. So I just wanted to throw that out to you and see if that resonated with you at all, or if there are some things you would, well, I'm sure there's things you would alter, but just on the face of it, does that make sense to you? Yeah, I'm familiar with Dr. Diagostino's research and work, very uh, well published in uh, metabolic health, particularly with things like the ketogenic diet and hyperbaric oxygen. I've seen him present at a few conferences, so well aware of that. It's interesting, you know, when you present the case as glioblastoma, all those things make complete sense. However, can you apply that to every type of cancer? Not necessarily. 
Sure. The main point I want to make here, because yeah, all those things that that you said for that type of cancer make sense. But what we see a lot of people fall into trouble with is that they see somebody else do something for their prostate cancer and they have breast cancer and they're like, well, they were cured and they took this off-label drug and did this restrictive diet. And so that's what I'm going to do. Completely different disease. Okay. All types of cancer are different types of disease. And like I said earlier, even when we line up 10 people with the all same type of cancer and we look at their terrain issues, they're all different. And so I would caution people in terms of looking at like, oh, these are the top five things to do if you have cancer. It's like, well, okay. Number one, what type of cancer? Number two, what are your unique terrain issues that need to be dealt with? What are the actual root causes of your cancer? What other treatments are you doing? Because there's some treatments you don't want to do hyperbaric oxygen alongside of. Okay. And there's some treatments you might not want to take the DCA or the metformin. You know, some patients, even though a ketogenic diet it may be indicated for them for their disease, you may need to work through other hurdles before you're able to fully implement a good, sustainable ketogenic diet. And so I like my patients to be empowered. I want them to understand and, and be able to control as much as they can. But oftentimes, you know, we see patients that jump into these things, like you mentioned with Dr. Diagostino's research and say, well, I'm going to start doing this all on my own. Then they come to us and it's a mess. And it's like, we have to kind of like pull them back out of all that and then re-implement it more customized for them and what their situation is. So I tell people every day that there's, there's a million things that you could do that could be helpful, but without doing the proper testing and having experience, good luck trying to find what are the right things for you. Yeah, I appreciate that answer because like you you stated multiple times now, it's a very bio-individual treatment, whether it's cancer or otherwise. And yeah, Dr. Google can can be a blessing and a curse, but I think people can get kind of carried away and maybe a little too empowered by what the internet has to say, whereas they need someone like yourself who's an expert in the area and can give them proper guidance. So yeah, I appreciate that answer. Let's move a little more into the prevention side of things because you, we've talked about the treatment side of things when you do have cancer. So from a terrain-based approach, what would you suggest to people? Because now we're, we're looking down the barrel of one out of two people getting cancer. What can people do now to prevent from them being one of those two? Yeah. And I think this is where we can get a little bit more general with our recommendations, right? You know, trying to be proactive, you know, and so we know that Again, talking about the root causes of cancer, environmental toxins, stealth infections, chronic inflammation, right? So we know that there's practices and changes that we can make in our diet and lifestyle, eating more organic, eating less ultra-processed foods, not having a sedentary lifestyle, getting good, adequate, but safe sun exposure, making sure that your sleep is optimized, Get tested for your nutrient levels, right? Vitamin D is so important. 90% of cancer patients are you know, deficient in vitamin D. Vitamin C as well, though. I mean, that's one of the, the hallmarks we see in our patients is low vitamin C, low omega-3s. These are the biological requirements for your cells to run right. And if you're not meeting those needs, which by the way, just eating food nowadays is not enough. You oftentimes need to supplement because our soil is unfortunately depleted of a lot of minerals and nutrients that hundred years ago, wasn't a problem. You could just eat and get those. But now we, because of the agricultural practices, we've, uh, we've lost a lot of that. Some people say as much as 90%, which is staggering. So supplementation is important. I say, get tested. You know, we do a thing every year where we call it check your health. And these are for patients that are just looking to be proactive. 
but we do a, a micronutrient test. We look at their hormones. We look at markers of inflammation. You know, there are some basic labs you can have done that most of like your primary care doctors aren't running that can tell you where do you stand with these things, with these, with these underlying risk factors for cancer, metabolic disease, cardiovascular disease, neurodegenerative diseases. And so you don't know until you get tested. I think everybody should start testing, you know, 25, start doing real preventative screenings, not what we consider screenings now, which is like mammograms and colonoscopies and things like that. But measure your nutrient levels, measure your hormones, maybe even do an environmental toxin screening, you know, especially if you grew up in an area where you're in a cancer hotspot or you've got multiple family members, guess what? Usually a family history of cancer is not a genetic problem. It means they were all exposed to the same environmental problem. So those are areas where you may want to do some proactive screening for environmental toxins. And then understanding this connection about mental, emotional, spiritual health and how that poses a risk for cancer. And so dealing with your suppressed emotions, dealing with family traumas, these things are important. It can be overwhelming, you know, all that stuff. But if you work with a functional medicine doctor or an integrated medicine doctor, a naturopathic medicine doctor, they can help walk you through which of those things might be most important for you. So I can't stress enough how important it is to find a doctor you trust that understands not just how to treat disease, but how to create health. And going back to the the blood testing, how often, I know you said once a year with, with some of your patients, but if a person was to do it from a preventative standpoint, just to make sure their nutritional levels, like hormone levels, like you said, are accurate, do you suggest quarterly, biannual, or is one time a year enough? Or what are your thoughts? I there? think it depends on where we're where we're meeting that patient at. You know, if they're completely healthy and you know, say very young, you know, that might be something you do just every couple of years. Uh, if you've got someone who already has issues, maybe not cancer, but they've already got health issues, they're up there in age. Maybe you do want to do things a little more frequently. You know, it, it really should be individualized, but uh, it, you don't know until you get started kind of what your frequency or or follow-up should look like. But that first step in that first test can really help you understand your body more, understand what changes are most important for you when it comes to diet, lifestyle, all that stuff, the fundamentals. And then, you know, health is a verb. You know, it's not like you go get tested and you, you start eating good for a month or two. You got to keep it up. You know, this is a long-term journey for people. And so just understanding that and being aware that, uh, you know, you may learn something that forces you to make a big change in your life. Yeah. Getting blood tests done is huge because you don't know what you don't know. Otherwise you're just throwing kind of the kitchen sink at everything and hoping, hoping it sticks. But with that being said, as far as getting some idea about your own personal health mm -hmm. on a bio individual level, does something like, isn't it 23 and me? that provides some sort of insight uh, to your nutritional needs or propensities, so to speak? Or is that something that's beneficial? Yeah, the 23andMe and those types of tests can be helpful. It's all about how they're interpreted. Unfortunately, 23andMe, you know, they there's kind of like two separate services. There's the services that do the testing, and then there's the services that do the interpretation. Because if you just mm -hmm. do the test, you get this spit out of all this alphabet soup, and most people don't know what to do with it. And then you've got physicians or practitioners that can do the interpretation. There's some companies now that have combined them. I like a company called Nutrition Genome, which is, again, it's a, it's a DNA test, but it, it's much more, it gives you much more actionable information. That's one of the tests we do here for our patients, which can help you to really get more focused and strategic with your diet, understand 
what nutrients may be problems for you, which ones you may need to take more of or less of. It can even tell you certain medications that might not be good for you or ones that you might need a a lower dose of. So I like that test in particular. And I think those tests in that space are going to continue to get better. Yeah, definitely. Nutrition genome is the one you're suggesting. Correct. Okay. Interesting. I'll look into that. Is there anything else you want to cover or provide insight to that we haven't already talked about? I think you kind of had a lot there. And I guess I'll just tack on there that you've mentioned it multiple times, but just the emotional, spiritual aspect of not just cancer, but health overall. My mom actually just called me like an hour or two ago and we just were kind of talking about some, some stuff. And she mentioned how important, especially in this day and age, in this time that we're dealing with high stress, there's so much going on in the world that now more than ever meditation and just decompressing mm. and getting away from it all and just uh, being present is, yeah. is so important right now. So, so to your point, just for your own wellness, whether you're dealing with cancer or whatnot, that's just the mental component is massive and, and can't be overstated. I don't think. Yeah. Well said. Well said, Mike. I, I agree hundred percent. Like I said, I think that's one of the big areas that we're just missing in, in, in our Western medicine approaches and uh, it's catching up to us, not just with cancer, but you know, God, look at the suicide rates, look at all the childhood issues and dysmorphia issues that are coming out. I mean, it's just, it's getting, it's getting a little bit scary out there. And so I think we need to be practicing more of these, you know, getting into more of these practices like meditation and, and ways to connect with our, uh, with our higher self, get out of our brain a little bit, uh, into our body a little bit more. We definitely try to get our patients moving in that direction. It sounds like you're well aware of that as well. So that's great. Yeah. And I'll tell you, one of my favorite books to recommend or gift to people is Becoming Supernatural by Dr. Mm. Dispenza. I mean, that's one of my favorite of all time. Yep. I love his books. I love um, John Kabat-Zinn's books, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, Dr. Gaber Mate's books. He's got several. When the Body Says No, basically, you know, uh, there's books like that where you, uh, you know, if you aren't able to verbalize things on your own, at some point, your body's going to do it for you. And so understanding that mind-body connection. And yeah, there's so many books that have been written on the subject, but uh, we need to start diving into that more. Agreed. Agreed. Well, again, Dr. Tim's, this has been fantastic information. I mean, I've learned a lot and I'm sure the audience has as well. So thank you again for taking time out of your busy schedule. Where can people go to learn more about and from you after this podcast? Yeah. First of all, I'd say um, check out our website, reardenclinic.org. Ton of information there uh, as far as people that want to become patients, other providers that want to look at our protocols. You know, We're the first clinic to publish uh, research on, on a safe protocols for high-dose IV vitamin C. All that stuff's on the website. Uh, and then me personally, I would uh, I mainly do my social media stuff on Instagram. And uh, you can find me at, at Dr. Lucas, doctor spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R. And uh, yeah, this podcast, I guess, whenever it comes out. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I guess if you're listening to this, it's already been dropped, but pretty soon. Appreciate that, Dr. Tim's fantastic information. Love what you're doing. Keep up the great work and, and your beautiful approach to tackling cancer treatments and prevention. For, for Dr. Tim's, this is Dr. Mike Belkowski signing off another episode of the Red Light Report. Everybody have a fantastic week. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. 
If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolite.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolite. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.